Let us hear the word of our God from Titus 3, verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Amen. Well, last time I uh, developed the command here to be submissive to our civil authorities in two primary points here. First, the, the New Testament never explicitly commands us to be obedient to them, but it does specifically say we must be submissive. And so we should always be submissive, and yet we obey lawful commands only. Secondly, then, God established the civil authority to punish the evildoer and praise the doer of good, and when he does so, he is fulfilling God's requirements and is serving God, but when he does not, and he punishes the doer of good and praises the evildoer, or at least does not punish the evildoer and tries to do good, then he is disobeying God and he is serving the dragon. Now, Paul gives another command here, uh, reminding the, those in Crete to be obedient, uh, just as a general concept, as a general principle. And this includes the magistrate, uh, but is broader than that. Uh, and then thirdly, he says that we are the ones who are to be doing what is good, to be ready and prepared to do those things. Well, like uh, many topics, when you are brief, when you are summarizing things, uh, it raises questions, and especially on something uh, such as the civil magistrate. <clears throat> and as Paul is focusing his attention on this here in these two verses, so too have I. And um, in light of uh, a few comments and questions from last week, I thought I'd spend a little bit uh, more than I was intending here at the beginning uh, to address a couple things. But uh, some of these things I had intended to say uh, already. Um, and so, uh, first of all, God and his word is our standard, even in civil matters. Okay? Just because we say that the civil law in Israel has expired doesn't mean it has no relevance. Okay? That's the term of the confession. It, it also says that the general equity of the laws of the state in Israel apply to us today. General equity, what does that mean? Well, there are various views, of course, but it seems, in my view, to be just simply saying the principles that are found in the scriptures should apply in every civil society. Now, in saying this, this does not make us theonomists. And so you recall that theonomy teaches that um, the magistrate has authority over all of the Ten Commandments. So if we don't go to the church, to church on Sunday, the magistrate could put us in jail. If we make an idol, the magistrate could put us in jail. Uh, if we are coveting something, the magistrate could even punish that somehow. Um, and the original confession had these theonomic elements. There in chapter 23, it said some of those things. And, and so in America, of course, some of these changes were made. And... Uh, and I think rightly so, 
I don't think that the magistrate has the authority over the first four commandments, nor the tenth one. Um, and, and so I think this is good and right. Um, so just because we say God's law governs the magistrate does not automatically mean we are theonomic. We are not like the Congregationalists in New England in the earlier stages of our society. No, more like the Founding Fathers with the uh, Declaration and the Constitution, we see this separation of powers, as it were. <clears throat> the governing authority has authority to implement and to punish commands 5 through 9. It's the church and the family that, that then govern all 10 of the commands in various ways. So if, if on the one hand we want to avoid theonomy, we don't want a pendulum swing to the other end, which is something that we call today the two-kingdom view. Uh, this is a view, both of these views actually are within reform circles, uh, still even today. And um, uh, for example, if you're to go to Westminster Seminary in California, you'll hear the two-kingdom view being propounded. Uh, and this is the view that God's law only applies to believers, and then the magistrate is not subject to God's word, except maybe in some very broad ways, but not specifically. And so the magistrate is, um, you might say, can do whatever he wants in this viewpoint. And this is clearly where we are today. This is the primary view in the church. The church basically is saying we have no right or responsibility to tell the magistrate what to do and what not to do. Okay. But is this correct? Does the Bible actually say that the magistrate, the civil authority, is not God's servant? And he can do whatever he pleases? Uh, even if you're going to take the view that what is Caesar's, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and you're going to say that Caesar uh, can take all kinds of things, he still rendered something, okay? The things are given to him by God, ultimately, is Jesus' point. So I, I just don't see how the kingdom view fits at all, the two kingdom view fits at all with the basic teaching of the scriptures. I don't think it's all that complicated, but this is where we are. Somebody's going to raise a point in General Assembly about us responding to the civil magistrate in regard to uh, uh, the gender-affirming transgender things and such, and I'm sure people are going to say, well, we have no right and responsibility to tell the government what to do, only in matters of great need or only if they ask us. And I'm just like, why are we sticking our heads in the sand? Why are we refusing to be like Samuel did with Saul? But, look, on the one hand, theonomy gave us witch hunts. But on the other hand, this two-kingdom approach is allowing the government to do whatever it wants. And look where we are today. Okay. God's people must keep the magistrate in check. <clears throat> now, there are many passages that say these things. But I think one of the most obvious ones and in, in not just here in the context of the magistrate, but in the context of society in general, are the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, where he tells us that we are to be salt and light. Okay? We must 
do these things. Jesus commands us in this way, but this does not merely mean that we are to witness and to evangelize. It certainly includes that. But we are responsible to shine the light in society, the light of truth, the truth of the scriptures, and we are responsible to be salty here in this way. So how do we do this? Well, how does the church influence society? The terminology that we frequently use in this uh, context, in this question, are the terms Christ and culture. And so how do they relate? How does Christ relate to the culture and vice versa? There are various views out there, and depending on who you read, there are various numbers of views. Uh, Sometimes you hear people say three views, others four, others six, and some have subpoints and this, that, and the other. But anyway, I think it's helpful at the very least for us to talk about three. And so the first view would be this. Some say that Christ is against culture. This is the view that there is nothing good in society. There's nothing good in culture. The world is governed by the evil one. And so there is nothing good for us there. Everything must be opposed. And so this results then in Christians exiting society. And so you think of the monks and the nuns and the monasteries and convents You think of Christians isolating themselves. You certainly think of the Amish, but many fundamentalist Christians have done this over the last century or more. Even when we hole up in our church and maybe have an activity uh, every day of the week but do not participate in things in society, we're doing the same kinds of things. For those who are pacifists and say you should not vote or be in the military and so on and so forth, right? It's part of this Christ against culture viewpoint. Well, then on the other extreme, uh, you have Christ and culture. Again, some people will use some different terminology for this. But the idea here is that there is really no difference between Christ and society. Uh, This is the view that you'll see in the liberal church. Uh, The moral argument that you will hear in society uh, has this view. And it's basically, there's a vague use of the Bible in society, um, but it doesn't really make much difference. So, for example, um, I I was trying to remember, I think it was in the context when Nancy Pelosi was telling us to just trust them when they voted for Obamacare. I think it was in that context. You remember she was talking about John 1 and the word, and so forth. And she obviously had no clue what, she, what John 1 says about the word. Uh, but it's that kind of thing. It, they, they use the Bible to support something that they want, but it really makes no difference in terms of uh, policy or whatever. And so today, the globalists are telling us that we should love our neighbor by accepting mass migration. Or we should love our neighbor by getting the shot and wearing the mask. They're using a moral argument. They're using the scripture in some way. But it's really what they want. And they're using something they can cherry pick out of the Bible to justify and make it sound good and help Christians, convince Christians to support them. But there's really no difference between uh, the church and society in this view. So 
What is the third position? I think the best way for us to view this <clears throat> is Christ transforming culture. Again, you'll have some people using different terminology, but I think this one is a helpful one. Christ transforms culture. This view says there are some good elements in society, and that's because of God's common grace. We are made in God's image. God provides rain for the just and the unjust. There are some good things in society. I don't have a problem necessarily reading an unbeliever uh, when it comes to something about math or possibly some scientific thing or whatever. I don't have a problem enjoying sports and watching unbelievers play. There are some good things there because God made them. He's gifted them. Okay? And so we might talk about plundering the Egyptians like Israel did there out of Egypt and using that to build the tabernacle, for example. There are some good things that we do see in society um, and, and so we don't reject it altogether. It's not all evil. Okay? But it's not all good either. <laughs> and so it's not Christ and culture. And so we must work to transform it. And again, using the language of Christ, we should be salt and light. We must be salt to prevent culture from decaying. When Jesus talks about salt, he's not talking about flavor. That's how we tend to use it today, right? We, we, we use salt to flavor our food. But salt, in Jesus' day, was used to preserve things. Okay? So you might think of salted pork or something to that effect. Uh, we're, we're preserving things so they don't go bad. That's what Jesus meant. If we, as a church, don't do anything, the society is going to go downhill. And so we must preserve it by being salt. And then, of course, we are to be light. The world as a whole is in darkness, right? That doesn't mean everything is completely bad, but it is dark, and we must shine the light of the scriptures to help them to see so we can go in the right direction. Now, this certainly applies to witnessing and to evangelism and to salvation in that sense, but it also should apply in our everyday living. As Paul is commanding us to relate to people in society, we must apply it in everyday ways, too. Now, we do this, then, of course, by talking to unbelievers, to those we work with or at school or in our neighborhoods or whatever. We talk about the truth, and, of course, we seek to live it out. We, as Christians, should be godly workers in our place of employment. We should be godly students when we are at school. We shouldn't join in with the rest of the kids that are uh, maybe trying to cheat on their test or grumble and complain and think it's cool to be dumb. We are to be different as we relate to our neighbors and our friends and our family and so forth. Okay? So let's be godly in how we are living. <clears throat> but it's more than that. Okay? If we're going to preserve something, you can't just stand there. You can't just hold a flashlight. Right? You have to go out and say, okay, well, here's a dark spot. Let me shine the light right there so you can see. When they would preserve the meat, they rub the salt right into it. You just can't put salt on the table and expect it to preserve the meat. You have to rub it in. And so we can't just go to work and say, okay, I'm going to be a godly worker. 
we have to do something to transform the workplace, to make things better, to make things more godly. And so we must transform the bad things to make them good, and some of the good things, at least in this common grace kind of way, to make them more good and God-honoring. Now, as I will expand upon in Romans 1, verses 18 and following, our society is clearly going downhill following the path that uh, Paul describes there in Romans 1. And one of the main reasons why this is happening is because the church has forgotten to be salt and light. We have bought into the lie that all we need to do is to be a godly person, and that's enough. As well as this two-kingdom, right, separation, the church really shouldn't get involved in government things or something like that. Uh, But no, we cannot content ourselves with merely being a godly person. We must try to make culture better. And certainly we can't say that culture is okay. (laughs) Maybe some things, but much of it is not now. Um, So how can we make culture better if we act like the world and think like the world or we avoid the world? So again, I, I think this view, Christ transforming culture, is the one that really the only one that makes sense. Well, in order to do this, we need to, in part, understand the world around us. We must understand, to some degree, how unbelievers think, what makes them tick, why do we have this global mass migration taking place, why did people go absolutely crazy giving up any right whatsoever during the pandemic, why is this the case, what is it saying, why is is the um, uh, the neighbor down the street acting the way he or she is acting? Okay? Under, try to understand it to some degree. And the things that are evil, we should discard, period. There's no transforming it. The issues of abortion or gender-affirming surgery or prostitution, there's nothing good about any of those things. Get rid of them. Do away with them. But... Uh, there are other things that are bad and are worthy of change. So as I've mentioned here, um, if the government tries to do good, like a welfare system, okay, or getting involved in hospital care or education or whatever, that, that's bad, and it be, can become evil. But there's nothing inherently bad with education or health care okay, or even helping those who are in need. That's not inherently bad. The government doing it is bad, so let's transform it. Let's make it better. How do we do that? Well, it's our responsibility to care for these uh, people in need. It's our responsibility as individuals, as Christians, uh, to uh, um, uh, have hospitals and so forth. And, and for many years, that's what it was. It was Baptist Hospital or First Presbyterian Hospital or, you know, whatever. Um, and now we don't have that anymore because the government has taken it over. Um, but it's our, our job, right? Verse 1, we are the ones who are to be doing good. Um, and then the things that are good there in society, we should make them better. So I was thinking of an example here that you probably had heard of. And just in this uh, last few weeks, you remember hearing about the military guy that, that was strained, the guy in the subway, and he ended up dying. Now, my point here is this. You know, from everything that I've heard and seen, it seems like this military guy 
was trying to protect himself and those around. And from everything I've heard, this uh, guy was going crazy, had been arrested a number of times and set free, of course, all that crazy stuff. And, um, and, and he was actually saying, I'm going to hurt somebody. And so the guy puts him in the headlock and so forth, and he ends up dying. All right, my point is, uh, this woke DA wants to put uh, this military guy in prison, charge him with murder, yada, yada. But, you know, immediately, a Christian organization set up a, a fund to help pay for his, um, his legal fees. Okay. I don't know if the guy's a believer or not. You know, maybe the guy did go too far. I don't think he should be charged with murder. And there's no indication he was a racist, of course, all these things being said. Um, maybe he should be charged with manslaughter, right? The Bible does talk about the cities of refuge and so forth. Um, and so maybe there should be some kind of punishment. But, but do you see the good? Even, even unbelievers are, are funding this guy. It's not right for this guy to be charged with murder. That, that, that's just going way too far. And, and so think about it now. Here's the, here's the situation. There are some good things about trying to help this man in his situation. What can we do then to make it better? Taking a good thing and making it even more good. So, do you see the overall point? We are to transform culture. And we cannot do this unless we see how the word of God applies in culture. Because it does. So let me give another example here. And, and uh, let me use the Eighth Commandment as an example. Obviously, God tells us not to steal. <clears throat> And notice that if we're not allowed to steal somebody's things, the implication is that person owns them in one way or another, right? Do you see how it assumes private property? And so here is God's principle. Private property is to be maintained. You're not to take from someone else. So <clears throat> we are living in a culture now, a society now, where over and over again we are hearing that private property ownership should be done away with. Okay, the socialist Marxist argument is, is we should get away. Uh, we, we shouldn't own anything. Okay, everybody should own it. Or the government should own it. Whatever the situation is. However, whatever view it is there. Okay. Um, but you see the point. It's not just don't steal candy bar from the store. But this idea of private property is is a principle that we should be following. So when you hear somebody saying the rich should pay their fair share, that's not consistent with the Eighth Commandment. We as believers should not think that way. And we should try to transform this mentality. It is bad. Okay? And often used for evil, of course. Um, Maybe another scenario is you think of the eminent domain cases. And many times people have used the eminent domain to basically steal property from somebody else. I think there's probably a few cases of eminent domain that are justified, but very few. Most of the time it's just because they want more tax revenue, so they're going to knock somebody's house down in order to build something bigger. That's a form of theft. Now, if the person takes the money and 
and moves. That's okay. But those who don't? Okay. <clears throat> when it comes to these woke DAs letting criminals out all the time, right? We should work to change that. Because these people are going out and stealing again in some way or another. So we should seek to transform this. So how do we do this? Well, in our society, of course, we vote. That's certainly possible. But it can be more than that. We can um, try to get involved ourselves to try to make a change. Certainly talk about it. Certainly teach it. But then let's uh, talk briefly of how it can apply in our homes. If Emma has a book and Anna wants to read it, it's Emma's property. And Anna must treat it in that way. If Noah has a ball and Matthew wants to play with it, he can't leave it out all night for it to get bad in the elements. It's Noah's, right? You don't steal. If Anna has a game and Nathaniel takes it and loses half the pieces... Right? Do you see the point here? Private property is important even on these, if you will, small levels. And so we should begin in our homes by teaching our children what it means to not steal and to uphold private property. And this, then, can lead to a transformation of society. If our children learn it, and they teach their children and influence those they uh, come into contact with, then hopefully over time that'll make a difference. So when you go to church, or excuse me, when you go to work and uh, your coworkers are taking office supplies, what can you do to transform that scenario? Well, you can talk to them about it. Follow the basic principles of Matthew 18, even though it's outside the church setting. Talk to them about it. If they don't listen, well, maybe then you have to report them or whatever. You're trying to maintain private property in that way. Um, and do what you can to stop those who are being fraudulent. We've heard how many times in the last several months about COVID funds being misused. Okay? Or you hear about people with insurance fraud. Okay. <clears throat> the point is simply this. Don't just do the right thing yourself. What can you do to make the things around us in society better? How can you be salt? How can you be light? How can you influence change for good? Some things we get rid of, but many things we can improve upon. And these things then fulfill the command to be obedient, right? First one, this is how we can do good. And this is how we can relate in a very, very brief way talking about it here this evening. These are some ways that we can um, bless society. And so again, Paul here is addressing this issue in verses one and two. And it's far more than just the magistrate. It's just living in society. It's important for us as Christians don't exit it. Don't be like society. Be salt and light and transform it. And so don't just think that applies to evangelism. It's more than that. Love your neighbor in these very practical ways. <clears throat> All right, now, let's bring in verse 2. 
and talk more specifically of what Paul says here. I've uh, certainly been a, uh, going down some rabbit trails, but they're related uh, the, uh, to this topic. And so, verse 2 then, Paul says, To speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. All right. First of all, <clears throat> remember that uh, he started this thought in verse 1. The command here is to remind Titus is to remind them to do these five things, to be submissive, to obey, to be ready to do good, and now here two more, to speak and to be peaceable. And so to speak evil of no one. Um, obviously, it's very easy for us to be critical of others. We're, right? We're talking about society. So when we look around us and we see unbelievers around us, it's very easy to be critical, isn't it? You see the evil things they do. They're selfish, they're unthoughtful, they're rude, they're hateful. And many professing Christians do the same thing. But we're talking about those in society here. So when we look at that, it is so easy for us to say, well, that's wrong, that's bad, and so on and so forth. Well, don't speak evil of them. It's easy for us to repay evil for evil. If your neighbor says something mean about you and you hear it through the grapevine or whatever, don't respond in kind. When your coworkers are standing around the water cooler or whatever and they're slandering management, don't nod along in affirmation. When your classmates are putting down the nerd or the ugly person or what we used to call the retarded or slow person, right? don't laugh along with it. Speak no, no, speak no evil. Speak evil of no one. Let us be different. And back to my earlier point, not just be a godly person, but what can you do to transform it? If you're a bunch, around a bunch of your friends at school and they're picking on some kid, hey, what can you do to stop that? Not just keep your mouth shut, but what can you do to stop the, the meanness and the bullying and this, that, and the other? Again, transforming, being salt and light. And so do good things, end of verse 1, with our words now, here, verse 2. But too often we justify with the excuse of, well, we're just pointing out truth, or we um, uh, are, are trying to confront someone, and unfortunately we often tend to do it in a sinful way. Confronting sin is one thing. But do, doing it in an evil way is another. And so simply watch your tongue, Paul is saying, as you relate to the unbelievers in society. Now the word here actually is blaspheme. And so if you have another translation, that may be what it says. Okay? Do not blaspheme or blaspheme no one, uh, literally. Um, now, we typically use that word in the context of blaspheming God, but it can be used in other ways, and that's what Paul means here. And so it isn't just saying something that's mildly mean. <laughs> um, it can apply to that, but his point here is, is more um, intense, you might say. Now, don't be hateful and malicious in your words. Don't be insulting and slandering. Do not speak this way, even about the unbeliever, who may be extremely wicked, speak differently. All right, now the next one, the last one here in this list, is to be peaceable. And uh, the word 
that follows. Gentle, uh, is how the New King James translates these words. And then the last part, showing all humility to all men. All this goes together here to be peaceable uh, to the end uh, fits together. Um, <clears throat> the word here for peaceable is actually uncontentious. Your translation may again may have a different word here. Uh, do not be uncon- uh, 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 excuse me. Do not be contentious. Do not uh, argue. Do not fight. Do not create controversy. Now, some believers, unbelievers, of course, enjoy this. Right? They like to fight. They get into fights every week at the bar, or every night in their house. You hear that, and doors slam, and things are banging around, or whatever, as you walk by their house. Um, uh, some neighbors are just always complaining about something. They are contentious, and very often alcohol is involved. Okay. Don't be like that. Let's not contend with our fellow citizens. Instead, let's be gentle. Uh, I, I, uh, this particular word is not the normal word for gentle. Uh, it has the idea of being patient, of being forbearing, uh, being gentle and calm, yes, but the, but the idea of being patient is probably closer to the meaning of the word. Uh, be courteous, be tolerant in the right ways here as you're dealing with, with uh, the unbeliever around you. So if you're in line at the store and the person in front of you is griping and complaining about something because maybe the line's taking too long or whatever, hey, don't be contentious with them. Don't, don't jump to conclusions or whatever if you're at a township meeting and, and uh, maybe you don't understand something. Or that person, you understand what's going on, but that person is just being very selfish and politicking for their own ends. Hey, don't be contentious with them. As a believer, I, we, we need to be involved in society. And so as we participate in our local community events, do so as you're able. Some people are able to do more than others. Hey, or in different times of our lives, we can do more than others. But when we are, just simply don't act like the unbeliever. Be different. And when believers have a bad reputation in the neighborhood among unbelievers, this is a terrible witness, especially if that reputation is deserved. And so in all we do in our social activities, hey, probably some parades tomorrow, or maybe when it's a voting day, or there's fairs here as the summer comes upon us. Or there are yard sales in our communities or some neighborhood event. As we go to a school board meeting or a township meeting. Even when we're shopping at County Market or getting gas at Sheets or eating at uh, the Iron Bridge or whatever it is. Act in ways that uphold the truth. Don't act like the unbeliever. Be different. Promote the well-being for everyone. Show gentleness and humility and patience and peace. Speak kindly, respectfully, humbly. Paul is saying, be a godly person wherever you are. Okay? But where we are able, let's try to make that situation better. Now notice how Paul uses the word all twice here. All humility to all men. And then earlier in the verse, speak evil of no one. Okay. So Paul's not saying here, let's just, let's just be nitpicky and, oh, okay, I'll do this over here, but not over there. In every situation, 
Paul is saying, let's be these kind of people. Now, in saying this, of course, this does not mean we are doormats. This does not mean we are passive toward evil. But we don't respond in kind. We respond very differently as Christians. When you have to oppose something or someone, do so in this kind of way, and certainly act this way as a general principle. Now, of course, people are going to try to twist the things that we say and, and that we do. Okay? And it can be hard. People, unbelievers, they'll lie about us. <laughs> of course, even believers will do this. Uh, they'll twist our, our words and our events uh, uh, that we may do as a Christian. And they will um, you know, just try to make it hard for us in some way. Just don't give them fodder for rejecting the gospel and the church and the truth. Okay? And so when you're out in public, be maybe extra conscious of how you are doing things, of what you are doing, and don't give them a reason to reject the truth. Okay? And on the other hand, okay, show light, transform, be salt and light. And so whether we're talking about government or we're talking about social activities where we live, okay, Paul is saying, let's do it in this way. Ultimately, of course, we are citizens of heaven, and all these things on earth are going to pass away. But we still live here, and God tells us, don't isolate yourself. Okay? Preserve society, shine the truth, transform the world for Christ. Extend his kingdom, not with force, but with godliness and truth. And so in chapter 2, Paul gave us some laws in regard to our homes. In chapter 1, he gave us some laws in regard to the church. And now here in chapter 3, he gives us some laws in regard to society. And so if we as Christians do not do this, social chaos will reign. But if we do, things will be much better. So if you are discouraged with where our society is, well, there's something you can do about that. Because we, as a church, are largely to blame for why our culture is so bad today. Do so with your governing officials, but do so with all men. Do so with your neighbor across the street. Do so even with the acquaintances you may bump into at the store. In every way, let us do these things. Now, John Stott gives us a, a couple sentences to summarize these, these thoughts. Here, then, is a very brief delineation of Christian behavior in public life. In relation to the authorities, we are to be conscientious citizens. And in relation to everyone, irrespective of their race or religion, we are to be conciliatory, courteous, humble, and gentle. Okay. Now, why should we do this? Well, God says so, of course. But we should do this because we see God loving the unbeliever through his common grace. But Paul is going to give us the reason why in verses 3 to 8. And so we will look at that starting next time, why we should love our neighbor in these kinds of ways. All right, well, as always, so much more could be said, but here are a few thoughts tonight. Let's pray together. <clears throat> our Father in God, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for um, 
this direction, basically, for us to be more outward-looking than maybe we are prone to do. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be uh, good, godly citizens, and that we might witness to those around us the things of, of, uh, of the gospel and so forth. But even more, that we would be that salt and light, and, and that you would use us to transform the things around us. Um, as we can apply this, certainly in our homes and in our churches and so forth, help us, Lord, to apply this especially in culture, in society. And so when we go to work, when we go to the store, when we do these things at the voting booth or whatever, uh, help us, Lord, to, to heed these words that you have given to us through Paul. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you would um, use this to stop this terrible decay that is happening in our culture. We, we um, see such um, downward trend, and uh, even just in the last few years, it's, it seems like we're just falling off a cliff. But help us, Lord, to, um, uh, to, to stop this trend. Give us strength by your Spirit in the ways where we, where we work and live and so forth to do this. Um, Lord, through it all, um, may your name be exalted. Um, may you uh, strengthen us by your spirit and uh, pray that you would uh, extend your kingdom here in these ways. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.